This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello, everyone, and for the final time this season, welcome to the Spanish Football Podcast with me, Phil Kitramelides, and Sid Lowe. We've had the final round of matches in La Liga. It all ended last night, so we know exactly who has finished where in La Liga uh, for another season. Sydney, hello. Hello, Philip. How are you? I'm okay. It's fitting that you're recording this final podcast of the season in a car somewhere in Pamplona, I think. Is, 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 is that right? <laughs> Exactly that on a on a on a slightly ropey looking industrial well not ropey looking but a slightly poor looking kind of commercial stroke industrial estate which does at least have a McDonald's which was at least open post game after last night. Wonderful, that's good to know. You've really set the scene for us for this final podcast of the season. <laughs> it's the glamour. Yeah, it, it's the lifestyle choice that we're selling here. It is. It is a lifestyle choice, very much. Uh, and uh, thanks for you guys for accompanying us throughout the season on our lifestyle choice. This is what happened then on the final round of matches. There were two Two games in Madrid on Friday night. Champions Real Madrid drawing 0-0 with Real Betis and Raya Vallecano being beaten 4-2 at home by already relegated Levante. Then on Saturday, a game with nothing riding on it. Valencia beat Celta Vigo 2-0 in an absolutely empty Mestalla Stadium. Honestly, it looked like we were playing a game just coming back from the, the pandemic when there was about 5,000 people left in the stadium. There was a huge protest against the owners thousands and thousands and thousands of people outside the stadium very few people inside to see Valencia beating Celta then on Sunday Elche beat Catafe 3-1 nothing riding on that game and then we had the fun of the relegation battle Cadiz started the day in the relegation zone but they won 1-0 at Alaves Mallorca won 2-0 at Osasuna and they were safe and the side who in theory were best positioned to escape the drop uh, were Granada they finished 0-0 at home to Espanyol and despite starting the day in 16th they finished it um, in 18th and they went down so bye bye Granada along with Alaves and Levante then it was Villarreal who wrapped up the final European spot they'll be playing conference league football next season they won 2-0 at the camp now against Barcelona first time since 2008 that they've won there Atletico Madrid wrapped up third spot beating Real Sociedad in San Sebastián 2-1 and Sevilla beat Athletic Club by a goal to nil. I was having a look and the difference between finishing third and finishing fourth is nearly €8 million Euros in prize money. So there was uh, uh, quite a lot riding on who was going to finish third, <laughs> Atletico Madrid or Sevilla. As it was, it was Diego Simeone's side and in every full season that Diego Simeone has been in charge, Atletico Madrid have finished in the top three. So with the season coming to an end, uh, this is our last Monday podcast of the 21-22 campaign, but we're not going anywhere. We're going to be podding all summer at patreon.com forward slash TSFP, starting with the coverage of the Champions League final, the playoffs, the transfer market, the managerial merry-go-round. We guarantee at least one pod a week over the summer, but it's often more. Join us and the Monday pod will be back wherever you get your podcasts at the start of next season. Uh, There is a word that I've not mentioned, uh, Sid, uh, so far, and it's one that's been mentioned around about 55,000 times in Spain and on Spanish media, and particularly 
in the <laughs> capital uh, over the last few years, uh, few days. Mbappe. Is it traitor? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> traitor. Values. Yeah. Um, Kylian Mbappe will not be joining Real Madrid. What the? I mean, you, you guys know that, obviously. Uh, everybody knows it now. We did not know this a few days ago, but it's happened. Uh, quite extraordinary. We have to start here. Um, just trying to give generally our, our thoughts on, on, on what's gone on, because it's been pretty extraordinary. One of the most extraordinary transfer sagas in history, I would have thought, Sydney. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, I suppose it is. Yeah, because. Uh, but of course, it's all predicated on something that wasn't absolutely certain, if you see what I mean, because this feels almost like a player changing clubs, when in fact it's a player staying at his club. And so there, there could almost be an mm. argument that says that this actually isn't significant at all because nothing has happened, except the fact that nothing has happened is, is so surprising because it had been built up so much because the significance in terms of the economics, in terms of the politics, in terms of what it means for the future of football, because this is very much underpinned by the Super League battle, in terms of what it means for the career of a player that we think is going to be at least one of two dominant players over the next decade or so. Um, yeah, well, maybe one of three or four. Let's see how many emerge over the next couple of years. But it does feel very significant. And, and also the way it happened and the fallout to it, of course, is, is part of what makes it feel significant as well. But there is also a little bit of me, as I say, that kind of comes back to that thing that sort of says, well, actually, nothing's happened. <laughs> you see what I mean? Hmm. Yeah, yes. Um... Real Madrid and Real Madrid fans and Real Madrid-associated media have not taken this particularly well. No, they've taken it very badly indeed. Um, and, and obviously the, there's, there's a number of reasons for that and, and some of them I think are more, uh, more understandable than others. I think the, under, the really understandable one is the sense that this was a player who had told them or allowed them to believe that he was going. And so from that point of view, it does feel like um, he has let them down. It does feel like he has strung them along and then pulled out at the last minute. Now, for what it's worth, I think it's entirely legitimate for someone to have a couple of options and, and, and make a final decision. And whatever that final decision is, is OK. And I think we need to not decontextualise and not break the chronology of this because I've seen a lot of people say but he's publicly said he wanted he wants to go to Real Madrid. Well, he publicly said last summer he had wanted to go to Madrid. That's not the same as publicly saying he was going this time in these circumstances and in this manner. Um, and, and I think he's entitled to look at other elements and, and decide otherwise. Obviously, there's a big financial component to this and, and it's very difficult to believe the claim from his mother that the financial offers from the two clubs were basically the same. But obviously, it certainly is true that the amount that he would have been offered by Real Madrid would also have been absolutely gigantic. So I don't think we can reduce it purely to money which a lot of the Spanish response has been. I mean, I've heard the phrase pesetero used a few times over the last few days. Uh, mercifully, not that much, because I think it's a, a, a slightly unpleasant phrase. But it, but it's certainly the, the thrust of the argument is that, that, you know, he chose money over all of these other things. But I don't think it's quite that simple. And, and you know, I'm stripping away the whole question of, of the Qatari ownership of PSG and, and what they symbolise. Um, but I think from a footballing point of view, I think it's perfectly legitimate to believe, not necessarily saying you're going to be right, to believe that over the next 10 years, PSG might be more successful than Real Madrid in European terms. I think it's perfectly legitimate to believe that if you win a European Cup with PSG as the standout player, 
that you will always be associated with that and your impact on that club and, and if you like even on football history is maybe bigger than perhaps going to a club like Real Madrid and winning two or three as one of a handful of players mm. um, and actually I thought Angel Di Maria um, was, was really quite interesting on this post-game uh, post-PSG's game at the weekend and, he, and he, he was kind of very rational about it and obviously he's in a position where he's certainly not going to have a go because he you know he he is now a former player of PSG as well as being a former player of Real Madrid but he's a PSG player um, but he he was sort of saying look maybe he said I don't know we haven't talked about it it's all been kept very quiet they haven't discussed it with us this isn't something that's been a, a, a kind of a dressing room conversation and we didn't know until it was announced what was going to happen he said but but you know Killian may well believe that he will be the greatest player in the entire history of PSG whereas even if he goes to Real Madrid and he's absolutely outrageous for 15 years Chances are he still wouldn't be the biggest player in Real Madrid's entire history. And maybe there is something about his own personal impact there. And, and I'm reminded a little bit of that conversation between Antoine Griezmann and his sister in that video, The Decision, mm. in which Griezmann's sister says to him, if you go to Barcelona and win the European Cup, it will still be about Messi. If you stay at Atletico and win the European Cup, it will always be about you. Mm. Now, on one level, I don't know whether I think that's extremely selfish or... Or actually a good thing, if you see what I mean. I, I'm, I'm sort of slightly torn on, on judging that. Maybe the answer is not to judge it. I don't need to judge it. But I think what I mean is I think it's a natural thought process for a player. So I don't think it's purely about the money. But of course, the money is huge. Then there's the broader implications of this. And this is concerning, of course, which is the broader implications of, hang on a minute, how can PSG do this? Now, we have to, I think, reserve judgment a little bit in the short term on this because it might well be that there's a whole load of exits now to help pay for this. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, I think it's unlikely. To be <laughs> maybe honest, not, Tony. Yeah. yeah. Listen, no, we, maybe we, not, exactly. No, no, I'm, I'm not yeah. so naive as to assume that, that this is all perfectly balanced. <laughs> I don't think we're going to get into the ins and outs of uh, PSG and how they're financed and whether or not we have... Misgivings on that. We're going to try and keep it, try and keep it uh, football, footballing wise here. Um, what do Real Madrid do now, Sid? It's a question that we've both been asking ever since this, 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 mm. and everyone I think has been asking uh, since this broke. What do they do? Who do they go for? Because they've got to go for someone. Well, we talk. I think they. I think there is an emotional need now to go for someone quite big. That's before we talk about the footballing need. And I think the emotional need is is there, and I think that they would be well advised to to avoid that if they mm. can. Um, I'm not saying it's a big problem if you go and buy a superstar player, because obviously chances are it'd be a very good player. And who knows? And here's a slightly bold statement, and, and at the risk of sounding like I'm putting a, a, a very good spin on it for Real Madrid and saying, "Don't worry, this has actually turned out really nicely." Um, maybe they can buy a player who fits their structure slightly better. Because we've talked about how we felt we felt that Mbappé is not a problem playing with, with Benzema at all. But that we did wonder what it meant for Vinicius, who's been brilliant mm. this year, in terms of mm. how you structure it. So maybe they go for a right-side attacker. Maybe, you know, and I, I literally am just throwing names out there and certainly I don't want Liverpool fans jumping on me for saying this, but maybe someone like Salah, that kind of player who can play on the right of the front three and be, uh, have a real impact. I wonder if they will want, well, they will want another striker. And I think they might even have wanted that anyway. So maybe they'll go and get interested in Lewandowski, who, of course, has said that he wants to leave Bayern Munich, albeit that was for Barcelona. Um, the other question is, now, given that they have been saving for this, and this is one of the things we need to make clear here, Real Madrid were offering a huge amount of money, but partly the austerity of the last three years has been geared towards this, if you see what I mean. Um, and so I, w- I wonder if now, with that money, they can now look at this and say, OK, we didn't get him. 
let's use this to buy what three maybe really outstanding 50 or 60 million euro players rather than a superstar the kind of players that can really make this squad incredibly strong um you know perhaps a a, a an exception, one exceptional defender, perhaps one more midfielder and a forward, maybe a player in each line of the pitch. Um, I I don't know what they will think. I think they will. There will be an emotional thing, not least because, of course, there was this idea that Mbappe opens the new stadium. Mm. Now, the problem with that emotional argument, and I realise I'm contradicting myself here, but but you know this is kind of the thought process, is whoever they get will never be the same. And will always be, that's the guy you got because you couldn't get the other guy. Won't they? <laughs> However good he is. Yeah, unless, you know. Unless they get. Unless it's Messi. Unless Maybe it's, they go yeah, and get Messi. Yeah, unless it's <laughs> literally Messi. Yeah. <laughs> is there any chance? I mean, on, is there any chance? Neymar. Oh, yeah, okay. I mean, yeah, that, I don't think that's going to happen, but yeah, I mean, something like that. Mm. Um, is there any chance, because this, this has been going on for five years now, is there any chance that we're going to do this again in two or three years' time? Because he's only 23. He is only 23. Yes. And I think that's an important thing to keep in mind here when we talk about um, Mbappé's decision. Not necessarily the consequences of it, but the, the taking of it. And there's been a lot of this idea that, you know, you're an idiot, you're the one that misses out, you're the one that's blown it. But, of course, from his point of view, this was a decision based precisely on that. This is a three-year renewal, which is relatively small for, for an enormous mm. club, isn't it? A, a club like that, you would think, oof, you know, they'd normally be taking trying to get Mbappe on a five-year deal. This feels to me like he's saying, OK, we do the Qatar World Cup, we do the Olympics in, in Paris, and I go at a stage when I've still got maybe ten years left of my career, mm. perhaps eight, nine, ten, depending on what kind of fitness he has later on in his career um, and so from his point of view this isn't definitively shutting the door the problem is that the reaction suspects su- suggests that right now Real Madrid think this is definitively shutting the door mm. right now Florentino certainly thinks I'm not having you do this the problem with that argument is to be perfectly honest no matter what's happened if Mbappé becomes available in three years' time, and maybe even on a free transfer, because maybe this is part of the deal with PSG or with a release clause that, that says, right, there's a trigger point and we don't piss around in the future, we don't go through this again. And I would like to think that, that Mbappé's camp have, have done this, to, to not go through what they went through in the summer when he's admitted he wanted to go. Mm. Now, admittedly, a year on, you can now say, well, it doesn't matter that he didn't go because he's now happy to stay. Sure, but at that point he wanted to go and I suspect he doesn't want to be put in that position again. So I imagine there's some sort of get-out clause or at least the possibility to just see it to the end as he did this time and then walk. And at that point he can do it again. And if he's put in a position where he's available, it's hard to imagine that any club would turn him down, even Real Madrid, however pissed off they are with him right now. I guess so. Um, Yeah, I don't know. Florentino is someone who... You, you yes, feel he might rancorous. hold a grudge. I he's know. vengeful. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He's he's vengeful. Yeah. Um, and I certainly. I mean, obviously, look. The other thing to throw in here is that the obvious the obvious alternative to Mbappe is, or more to the point, was Haaland. Hmm. And if they genuinely thought they weren't getting Mbappe, I don't know for sure that Man City wouldn't have still got Haaland anyway because I don't know what Haaland's mindset was and what his thinking was. But it feels like if they weren't going to get Mbappe, Haaland would have gone to the Bernabeu. So maybe what Real Madrid really hope now is that actually Mbappe turns out to be not that good and they get Haaland, say, in three years' time instead. (laughs) Yeah, I guess so. Let's see. Um, Forgive us for starting the podcast talking about this, but we had to. It's an absolutely enormous story and been dominating the headlines here for a long time. And... uh, I think it's going to for a while as well still even even the fallout yeah that's the thing yeah. yeah with all of this you kind of think oh well at least it's over and then you think hey it's not going to be over is it 
<laughs> okay, what is uh, over and what is definitive is the relegation battle, and let's talk a little bit about that. Granada down, Mallorca and Cadiz are safe. You were at El Sadar yesterday to witness Mallorca's dramatic escape. They had it the hardest of any team, I think, because they were away to Osasuna. They hadn't won away since the 4th of December, and yet they pull up with a, a fantastic 2-0 win. Yeah, um, and, and it's it's interesting because it's not, it's not just that they responded, but also that, that, that Granada didn't who had it easiest. But I, I think I think it's very, very striking what's happened with Mallorca because I do think there's been a change with Aguirre. I think they're a tougher team. I think they're defensively, in theory, a stronger team. But it's two weeks ago that they were beaten 6-2 by Granada, that it felt like it was over. You know, completely over, and not only that, but they then went. They they and Aguirre talked about this last night. It was very interesting. He said we were like the the, the Walking Dead. He said we were we were what was the phrase he was saying? Um, we were una penambulante. I think was the phrase he was using. And he said we 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 were dead. We were screwed. We were absolutely finished. We were li- liquidated. He used he used the phrase liquidado two or three times, and and he said and after that he said I wouldn't wish that on anyone. He said, but we went away to Sevilla and we competed. And we got a nil-nil draw. And, of course, Manolo Reina makes a great save in what is it, the 96th minute, I think, against Sevilla. They then, last week, beat Rio 2-1 with a 92nd minute winner. And, to be honest, they weren't very good. Mm-hmm. And this is exactly as you say. You come into this game, and I was talking about this pre-game and saying, you know, what do you think is going to happen? And I was thinking, well, I sort of feel like Cadiff will go down because the most logical thing suggests all three teams win. Mm-hmm. But the team I trust the least is probably Mallorca. Because, to be perfectly honest with you, they're the one that I think are probably the worst of the three teams. And certainly, I think Granada are, are a better team than the other two. Uh, a significantly better team than the other two in terms of personnel and in terms of normally how they play. Um, as you say, they hadn't won away since December they they didn't look like a team that could really create very many chances and in the first half of this game they really didn't create many chances they had one absolutely superb free kick from Salva Sevilla that, that Sergio Herrera makes a really good save from but at half time they weren't playing well and I was talking to people from Mallorca post game last night um, you know just in kind of informal chats as well as as well as interviews and they were all kind of saying you know at half time we thought <laughs> Yeah, this 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 just isn't going to happen, is it? Mm. Even though it was in their own hands, then they score. They, and the amazing thing about it is they score a really nice goal at the start of the second half. A technically really gorgeous goal, which really isn't their way, to be mm-hmm. perfectly honest. Um, and then actually, I must say, I thought they played really well in the second half after that goal. I thought they 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 controlled the ball very well. Yes, Osasuna pushed them back a couple of times, but nowhere near as much as they had in the first half. I think Osasuna are a genuinely good team. They certainly hadn't given this game up. It's not like they were sort of not trying. Mm. And and then the second goal, <laughs> scored by a player who has played 66 minutes all season. So before yesterday, he'd played, before that goal, he'd played 59 minutes all year. Um, and, and, he, and he gets the goal that basically secures it for them. Um, and it was it was it was incredible to watch as well. I mean, the celebrations, watch the celebrations, kind of up close, was really quite something too. You were really in the thick of it as well, right next to where the where the goals went in. You could see we've got some fantastic pictures on our our Twitter account of what uh, Sid managed to snap. There was uh, there were a thousand fans who travelled from Mallorca as well. The club subsidising uh, the travel up to seventy five percent. The 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 flights that they had to get, the flight connections. Basically, they left at two in the morning from Mallorca. A lot of them hadn't slept, and it was. Um, quite quite emotional scenes uh, in the away end but it, it's great to see yeah 
It's great to see full away ends, Sid. We're not used to it. We're not used to it in Spain, and we want to get used to it. We want to see it more. And, and when you do see that and, and, and the colour of Cadiz supporters at Mendizorroza and, and, and the jubilation there, you uh, you think, yeah, we, we want a bit more of this. Obviously, it's more because it's the final day and they've just stayed up. But, yes. yeah, we do we do miss that a little bit. Hopefully, we can Absolutely. get a bit just, more of just that. Absolutely. Just a... Just a- just a recognition of how important fans are basically mm, mm. you know and, and, and that tends to happen when you're up against it I would like it to happen all the time mm. um, 484 tickets officially for Mallorca as part of that trip um, there was a best part yeah as you say it was nearly a thousand I think because mm. there was there was must have been easily two or three hundred more maybe more than that um, dotted around that end of the ground yes. um, some obviously the family tickets and so on and as you say they've been travelling through the night they were there very early at the ground I was one of the first people at the ground and the only people there at that point obviously with Mallorca fans partly of course because they had nowhere to go because mm-hmm. they got here at four in the morning and they weren't going until two the following morning so <laughs> so in the end you know they kind of had to just sort of hang around a bit uh, but I'm sure they were very happy to uh, at the end um, not so Granada who had it in their own hands and they they blew it nil nil at home to Espanyol it was all set up perfectly for them they were at home they were up against a, a team that had just sacked their manager badly out of form nothing to play for and they couldn't do it but they had the chance the chance a penalty taken by Jorge Molina their top scorer this season the fantastic man mountain that we're a big fan of the 40 year old Jorge Molina and he missed it he put it wide he didn't even hit the target he dragged it wide and at the end of the full time he was inconsolable lots of tears from Molina very 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 hard not to not to feel for him and Granada somehow went down six games under Aitor Caranca he only lost one of them two wins three draws and one defeat and and they went down yeah well he came too late I think is part of it Um, I think obviously they they could and should have survived on the final day. The the penalty is not a great penalty. He tries very hard to get it very close to the post, and actually Diego Lopez goes the right way. So had it been inside the post, maybe Diego Lopez would have would have reached it. Molina, of all the people, you know, didn't deserve it. He was absolutely outstanding in that six-two win over Mallorca, which basically looked like they were safe and that had done it, and it was it was done. The anxiety that Karanka had talked about how he turned up at a club and it was all about anxiety and they'd managed to break that and then of course it came back on the final day and they really didn't play well until right near the end it was, wasn't really until Bacca was on the pitch that they, that they made very much happen um, they, they'd started okay hadn't they what, 20 minutes or so maybe not even that but then it then it just kind of slipped away from them Espanyol were probably the better side for big chunks of the game obviously the other part of this the other twist in all of this is that normally Luis Mia would take the penalties but he'd gone off injured which is why Jorge Molina takes it Molina had also missed a decisive penalty against Inter in uh, in the Europa League with Getafe and actually has a pretty bad record from the penalty spot I was I can't remember um, I think it was that Pedro Numeritos on Twitter I think it was was it 7 of 15 that he's missed now which is which is a lot yeah um and, and I just feel with Granada that they, they had so many problems over the course of the season um, that perhaps if they'd gone for Karanka sooner, they would have survived. I, I don't want to make it purely about Karanka because, of course, you know he takes over a team that, that has the talent to be better than it was. It you know, clears their minds as much as anything else. Uh, but it's 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 a real it's a real kick in the teeth for them because as, you know Victor Diaz was talking about after the game and he said, "Look, to be honest, none of us saw this coming." I think they thought they should mm. be safe, but then for some reason tied up in the final day, or maybe actually, maybe the opposite is true. Maybe it wasn't urgent enough. Maybe they, maybe they were trying mm. too hard to be calm, if you see what I mean. Mm. Yeah, uh, you could tell at full time 
the players were just shocked. They seemed stunned. They genuinely yes. didn't couldn't yeah. seem to believe that it, it had happened, and it and it had. Um, so they go down. Mallorca and Cadiz stay up as well. Uh, Cadiz under uh, Sergio González, who just about managed to keep them up on the final day of the season, thanks to a goal from from Anthony Lozano. Objectively speaking. Happy to see Cadiz stay in the division because they are a colourful, loud, and passionate fan base. Great city, yeah. great stadium, and, they, and they, they bring something to to La Liga. So happy to see them stay up. Uh, we've got to move on and talk about other stuff as well. Uh, Atletico Madrid finishing third, Sevilla finishing fourth. Uh, objectively speaking, I don't. Both of these teams will feel like they're disappointed with their season. You could put. I guess a positive spin on, on, on both of them if you're a very optimistic person. Although Atleti's title defence has been one of the poorest in, in, in recent memory. Yeah, very, very disappointing. In a way, Atletico's title defence was so disappointing as to end up not being much of a disappointment because it was over so early that we knew. Mm. And it's not like it sort of collapsed at the end, and which is why, in a way, Sevilla's attempt to win the title was almost more disappointing because in mm. January we thought it was a real thing and, mm. and, and it wasn't. And I think you're right. I think with both of these teams, if you look at this in terms of targets, in terms of levels, in terms of how big these clubs are, you can look at this and say, actually, you know what? That's what you ask of these teams. You ask of Atletico Madrid to be in the Champions League, which they now have been 10 years in a row. Uh, They've now finished in the top three 10 years in a row. And they are basically performing as highly as you can expect if you're accepting that Madrid and Barcelona are bigger than them. The problem is that this season the expectation levels were higher because they came as champions, because in theory they strengthened their squad. And it is very clear that a lot of things went very badly wrong this year in terms of attitude, in terms of, um, if you like, some of the kind of internal dynamics, in terms of the, 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 the way that relationships uh, were and actually frankly in terms of the way they played now you only need to look at and I've talked about this before so I'll only say it briefly now their results against the teams at the bottom of the table and it tells you something mm. it tells you something and I think we've I, I think at times this idea of Atletico oh, they've got to be old Atletico again maybe no, no, maybe the opposite was true maybe maybe that attempt to be that was, was, was part of their problem that, that sort of idea they need to cling on to that again and actually I don't think the two things are necessarily mutually exclusive because you can be competitive while also being a little bit more attacking and I think at times we focus too much on that so I think their season is a huge disappointment at the same time as saying okay but you have done sort of what you are asked to do if you sort of the bare minimum you know, yeah. Your, yeah your targets have been met that is true. Mm. And I think that is also true of Sevilla. And I think I think maybe it says something about Sevilla and how big they have become and, and how good they've been over the last couple of years that we wanted more from them. But given where they were in, in January, this is a disappointment. And I, I think I might have mentioned this last week. When they got the draw at Atletico, which confirmed Champions League football for the, for the third time in a row, which is a record at the club. It's the first time they've been in the Champions League three years running. Mm. They, all of them, and it felt very much like a script, they all of them came out and said, this is historic, this is big, look what we've done, we're, we're really proud of this. And you just thought, it feels a little bit to me like protesting too much. Because of course they know what the rest of us are thinking. Now I think they're fundamentally right, and it's fair enough to say that, but actually it hasn't been great. Mm. It hasn't, and we'll see if Julian Lopetegui is there next season. It feels, it feels like everyone is, no one is prepared to say, say that he will be. Which always, hmm. um, which always feels a little bit like there is something brewing. Hmm. Uh, Atleti and uh, Sevilla are going to be in the Champions League along with Real Madrid and Barcelona. In the Europa League, we've got Betis and Real Sociedad. And in this newfangled thing called the Conference League, 
We've got Villarreal, uh, the first ever Spanish representative in this new competition because last season or this season we didn't have any Spanish team in it. Uh, so Villarreal playing the Conference League, I guess <laughs> this might sound bad. I guess they might feel like it's a little bit beneath them having got to the Champions League semi-final uh, this season. And I just wonder how seriously they'll take it because A, it is a chance to win another European competition and they will be among the favourites. But B, if they don't, focus on it too much and focus on the league a little bit maybe they could do something a bit more serious in the league because they finished seventh again like they did last season last season they were 19 points off the Champions League spots this season they've ended up 11 points off the Champions League spots but in the in the same place in the table yeah and this was the theory that I was putting forward wasn't it last week that that it's actually good for them to not be in European football that their squad is strong enough Mm. that they could do something really quite significant in La Liga if they didn't have European football and in that sense there's a bit of me that thinks I wish they didn't have this um, that said, mm. Unai Emery said the opposite yesterday, although I suppose maybe publicly he has to. I mean, you, you can't mm. qualify for the Conference League and then go, oh God, I really wish we hadn't done this. Um, mm. But he yesterday said, look, it would have felt really weird to me. It would have felt wrong and disappointing for me to go into a season for the first time in 14 years, not in European competition. Mm. And I think he's mm. right to say that, but... Look, this is, I suppose, a competition that will feel exciting when they get to the semis or the, or the quarters. And, and then at that yeah, point but, yeah. but, but and I suppose maybe that's how they can treat it but of course if you do treat it like that you have better be good enough with players that you're not mm. necessarily treating as a priority because then you don't get that quarterfinal or semi-final stage at which it becomes exciting uh, still no European football for Athletic Club it's been a number of years now since they qualified for Europe they finished 8th Marcelino almost certainly won't be their manager next season uh, we're running out of time but if there is something you want us to talk about and we haven't done so then send us a question uh, and we will uh, answer it on the Q&A pod uh, this week um, the uh, Segunda División is beautifully poised Sydney even though no it's not no know, it's terrible it's yeah. not poised well at all poor old poor old Oviedo they lost they lost to Las Palmas so they're at two points behind Las Palmas with with one game uh, left to play uh, listen it is uh, Tenerife Girona and Las Palmas uh, in the playoffs uh, Valladolid are uh, in third as well Eibar and Almeria are level on 80 points at the top of the table Eibar won 2-0 at Tenerife and Almeria if they'd won they would have been promoted they were at home to bottom of the table Alcorcon who had been bottom all season relegated weeks ago and they drew 1-1 and they only scraped a draw with a last minute equaliser as well so Almeria really throwing it away let's see if they can um, secure uh, a return back to uh, La Liga it's um yeah it's interesting in the in the segunda at the bottom Real Sociedad B lost uh, at Huesca and they're down and Malaga are safe and congratulations to Gerard Piquet's Andorra who secured promotion to the segunda this weekend uh, before we go the uh, Women's Champions League final saw Barca Femini beaten 3-1 by Lyon in Turin after a disastrous start, which saw them concede three goals in 33 minutes. We're not used to seeing Barca Femini uh, lose matches, but they did pretty comprehensively uh, in the final of the Women's Champions League. Uh, that's it for this edition of the Spanish Football Cast, and that's it for this season. Sydney, it's our ninth season, eh? Woof! And it's come to a close. Yeah, I mean, you, you've been here a bit longer than that. But yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> uh, it's, been, uh, it's been fun. Thank you guys very, very much for, for um, keeping us company along the way uh, over the last nine months or so. It's been great. Uh, we'll be back in, in August for the start of the new season. In the meantime, 
If you fancy listening to our dulcet tones over the summer, come and join us at patreon.com forward slash TSFB. There's always loads of things to talk about involving Spanish football. That's the beauty of it. So come and join us at Patreon. If not, we'll see you in August. Adios, amigos. Cheerio.